Okay, so first, the obvious. Tag team preaching is not the norm. But it can be really, really good. And it was first hour. It's going to be great for you to hear from all of our elders and pastors preaching and this month. And by the way, I'm going to be doing the introduction and conclusion each week, obviously for some continuity, but then for some quality control. Okay? So actually, today we've got Mark Holbrook, and then Alan Check, and then Tom Licata, in that order, gifted communicators of God's Word. Now a question for you. Do you ever feel disconnected from people, even when you're around a whole bunch of people? If so, it's common feeling. Uh, we live in a smartphone, Facebook, Twitter, blog, connected but not really connected time of, of history. It's very convenient, by the way. We're so connected. Very convenient. You can, get, you can get a hold of people that you don't usually see and stuff like that. But have you ever been in a, in a public place and there's a bunch of people around and all of you are on your electronic devices? No one in the room is talking to one another. They're just talking to people other places. And they're transferring, transferring words to each other. But what's missing is the face-to-face connection. We're talking about Christ-centered community. And people love to talk about what the church should be about. Christians love to talk about what the church should do. But then we have to deal with the people part. That's the tough part. We've got to deal with our own sinfulness, our own selfish tendencies, and then we have to deal with everybody else's. And so it's tough to talk about Christ-centered community. We're talking about Christ, who is preeminent, who is sovereign, who is the Savior, who is our leader, who is our substitute, who is our righteousness. Christ. We want to be Christ-centered. Focused on Him. Intent on Him. Of first importance. Engaged in, in focusing on Jesus. Dependent upon Him. Having our worldview shaped by Him. But then you come to the community part. We can't be Christ-centered community if we are not interconnected. We can't be Christ-centered community if we are not interdependent and if we are not interested in one another, invested in each other's lives, initiating good towards one another. Christ-centered community. You're going to hear this a lot, but we exist for something. We exist as a church, just as the whole church of Jesus Christ exists, to glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel. To glorify God through our lives that are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our ultimate goal, which the wording we have chosen is this, is then to be a Christ-centered community who is intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. And we do that through a deepening relationship with God, uh, engaging relationships with the body of Christ, and Engaging relationships with those yet to believe. Well, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. So take your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 2, and in just a moment I'm going to ask you to stand with me to read God's Word, and I'll read verses 41 through 47. But let me set the context first about the church, about Christ-centered community, the background, how it all came about is obviously from what Jesus did. Here's Jesus dying on the cross in our place for our sins. Here's Jesus being buried and then rising from the dead and then giving instructions to his disciples. 
And he told them in Acts chapter 1, he said, there's a bunch of things you shouldn't be worried about. You're all worried about when I'm coming back. Guess what? That's my part. You don't worry about that. The part that they were to be concerned about is when he said, you're going to be my witnesses until I return. From, from where you are to the ends of the earth, you are going to be my Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, we get this beautiful picture of Christ-centered community, a beautiful picture of God's grace. So stand with me out of honor of God and His Word. That's not a very common thing to do nowadays either. Stand up to read God's Word. But we're going to do it. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And then I'll pray, and then Mark, and then Alan, and then Tom. And I'll come up and wrap it, in, wrap it up at the end. Acts 2, verse 41. So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. And let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your power. Thank you for your spirit that applies the word to our hearts. And Lord, now open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen. Please, please, please be seated. Mark. Good morning. It's good to be here. For some months now, actually a little over a year, the leadership at Grace Church, the elders and pastors and staff and deacons have been asking God to, to show us uh, how we can have a greater impact in our community. Uh, how we can not just be satisfied with a, a wonderful church that Grace is and uh, all the things we're doing, but there's a hunger that God has given to us to say, can we do more? And uh, we've been looking, as Pastor Mike has said, uh, what does it really mean to be a Christ-centered community, uh, intent on proclaiming the gospel, of making disciples, and sacrificially serving the Lord Jesus? What does that really mean for us, and what difference does it make, and what does it look like for Grace Church? As we began to explore this, we realized we have to ground our thinking in God's Word. We knew that all along. And uh, so as we look at the book of Acts this morning, and particularly chapter 2, uh, we begin to see some of the foundational principles that God has given to us in His Word that uh, we must live by and apply in our lives, and as a church in particular. And the book of Acts uh, it begins with dramatic uh, founding of the church. As Jesus appeared after his resurrection for a period of 40 days, and he, he spoke about the kingdom of God. And, he, and uh, 
before he ascended into heaven, uh, he reminded and reiterated his promise to the disciples that he would not leave them spiritual orphans. He says in chapter 1, book of Acts, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, in the end of the earth. You will receive power through the Holy Spirit. That promise applies to the church. It applies to Grace Church today. Our power comes through the working of the Holy Spirit among us as a church. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, it says. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. This is the beginning of chapter 2, by the way. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And for what purpose? That the, that the spreading of the gospel around the known world at the time would be galvanized through the hearing and proclamation of God's word where people would hear it in their own language. The scripture tells us that devout men from every nation under heaven heard the gospel in their own language. The church began with a miracle, the miracle of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that miracle continues today. And so as we come to this passage that we want to focus on, uh, Peter has just delivered a powerful, powerful sermon. In chapter 2 and verse 22, starting there, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That is the gospel. And that is the foundation of the church. It's the foundation of Grace Church of Orange. So as we look at verses 42 and 43 of Acts chapter 2, I want to look at four things that the church is devoted to, because a Christ-centered church is a devoted church. Looking at verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and of prayers. The first thing we see here, of course, is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to learning God's word. Thousands of believers, including the 3,000 that we read about in verse 40, 41, who had received the good news and were baptized, were hearing God's word, many of them for the very first time. And they became devoted to the hearing of God's word. And at Grace Church, praise God, in this, uh, in this church age, we get to hear God's word. We are dependent upon God's word, and God calls us to be devoted to his word in all that we do. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, a passage that all of our Awana kids learn very early on, and that we live by here at Grace Church, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, and for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I might 
add that the church of God might be equipped for every good work. The word of God is given to us for all that we need as believers individually and as a church, that we might honor him, we might be equipped to reach our community and make an impact for him. The second thing we want to look at here is that a Christ-centered church is devoted to the fellowship of believers. The fellowship of believers isn't just the idea of getting along and enjoying being together as much as that's true and it ought to be. The fellowship of believers is a recognition that we are interdependent, that we're dependent upon one another for us to accomplish the work that God has called his church to do. That no single one of us can do the work of the church. Isn't that great? But all of us, in obedience to him and grounded in his word, can accomplish that which God intended for his bride. That's what it means to be rightly joined together or fitly joined together. In Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15, it says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. This is all about every part working together to accomplish that as a church that God has called us to do and to be. That we might build up itself for what purpose? That we might glorify him and reach the world for Christ. The third thing we want to look at is that a, a Christ-centered church, a healthy church, is a church devoted to worship focused on Christ's sacrifice and his lordship. Look here at verse 41 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and the prayers. Breaking of bread here certainly can uh, refer to the fellowship of believers in a more comprehensive way, in a specific way. But I think here this specifically is referring to communion. The healthy church is devoted to remembering that which Christ did upon the cross. That is always the central focus of what we're about, is Christ's sacrificial death upon the cross. We might be redeemed of people unworthy. And it is that regular remembrance that we do as a church, as a body of church, that is absolutely crucial for a Christ-centered church and for a healthy church and a church that accomplishes his work. We must ground ourselves regularly in the remembrance of that which Christ did for us. That's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. As we remember his broken body. As we remember his shed blood. As we remember that apart from his sacrifice for us, apart from his resurrection, we have no church. We're just a social organization. But he has transformed us, and he has transformed his church to accomplish his work through his sacrifice. And a devoted church, a healthy church, a Christ-centered church, is one who is focused on Christ's sacrifice and his lordship. And the fourth thing we want to see here is that a Christ-centered church is devoted to pray for one another. To pray for one another. Yeah, we're devoted to learning God's word, we're devoted to God's word. We're devoted to the fellowship of believers. We're devoted to Christ's sacrifice. And we're devoted to praying for one another. To pray for one another and being devoted to pray for one another really means that we're simply devoted to one another. We're committed to one another. In brotherly affection, as Paul tells the Romans. 
that we are committed to praying for one another on a regular basis, that we're committed to hearing one another's needs and caring for one another, and caring so much that we spend time praying specifically for one another. I encourage you to do that. If you don't have a prayer list, I know that sounds kind of uh, mechanical, but if you need help, go for it. And pray regularly for one another, for the needs of the folks at Grace Church. And I, I want to leave you the results of all of this, of being a devoted church, is that uh, we are a church that sees the mighty hand of God at work among us, and we are in awe. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The people of God, as a result of being devoted to him, are in awe of his amazing work. Lives are being changed at Grace Church because they've first been changed in Christ himself. When we see changed lives in Grace Church, we ought to stand back for just a moment and say, wow. And when we look in the mirror, we ought to ask the same thing. How could it be that Christ died for me? How could it be that God changed the very course of my life and I was heading for destruction? I was an enemy of God. I deserved his wrath. And God changed my life and pointed me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Think about it. Our lives have been transformed utterly and completely and gloriously that we might worship him as his followers. Isn't that an amazing thing? Aren't you in awe? We see that in one another. We just say, God, you are a wonderful God. I am amazed that you love me so much. That's the gospel, is it not? That's at the heart of humble followers of Christ and a body of believers who are called the church. God is at work at grace. God is at work at you. And God has called us as a church to serve him and glorify him in all that we do. The section I'm going to cover uh, is what does a Christ-centered community, Grace Church of Orange, uh, do? What do we do? Uh, We just heard from Mark uh, that the early church was hearing God's word from the apostles on a regular basis. They were devoted to it, fellowshipping. They were breaking bread together, and they were praying together. And all the time they were being reminded, and they were celebrating that their Messiah has finally come. I mean, these were, the early church were, were Jews in Jerusalem that had waited a long time for their Messiah. And the Messiah came. The blinders were off. They were truly in awe, like Mark was saying. And by the power of the Spirit and the apostles' teaching, they were able to finally see the reality of Jesus, that he was God come to earth with such love and such power to suffer and die for their sins, to rise and give them life with God forever, for eternity. This was fantastic for them. Everything else at this point paled in comparison 
That should be the way it is with us. God loved them. God was with them. God suffered for them. God died for them. And then he gently, Jesus gently told Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. I think Jesus was pointing out how hungry we really are. We need true satisfaction only from him. Jesus loved his sheep. Jesus loves his sheep. And they saw it firsthand. So how could they help but not love one another? So what did this look like, this new reality of Jesus, the Messiah? In Acts 2, 44 and 45, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Well, seems pretty straightforward. We'll give us, let's take 30 days and, uh, you know, liquidate. Yeah? Come back 30 days from now with your house sold, your car sold, your investments liquidated, your got to take the penalty on your 401ks and whatever else you might have. And make sure you mark in the offering basket, you know, caring fund. And uh, we'll be good, right? (laughs) So, okay. And Mike shook his head no in the first service after he said, let's do it. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) now he's shaking his head no. (laughs) Uh, But this is not a message to liquidate, obviously, and give everything away unless God's telling you to do so. Are you willing to do that? Note in chapter 2, verse 46, the very next verse, the believers broke bread in their homes. They, they had their homes. Chapter 4, uh, verses 34 to 47, Barnabas, or Joseph, sold a property, not all of his property. And Ananias and Sapphira, chapter 5, you know the story, publicly declared you know, that they were going to give to the church the proceeds of selling a piece of property. And it wasn't the amount, it, wasn't the, it was just a piece and not everything, it was that they lied about giving the church all the proceeds. That was the problem. But this is a message to us and to the early church that we can live as a Christ-centered community in the reality of Jesus Christ by loving and caring for one another. Loving one another. Galatians 6.2, Paul's talking to brothers, which means us, those who are believers, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And Jesus taught many times about loving one another, taught his apostles loving one another, talked about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, love your neighbor as yourself. And that was everybody, right? The Samaritan was not Jewish, partially, you know. I mean, it's everybody that we're to love. But then he goes on in verse 10 in Galatians, and he says, Let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So we need to make sure that the needs of those in the flock at Grace Church are being met. And the early church made sure of that, didn't they? They lived together, all things in common. In 1 Timothy, Paul gives instructions to those who are of the household of faith, which means us and believers, in chapter 6, verse 17, he tells those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good works, 
to be generous and ready to share. He did not say liquidate, but he did say be ready to share. I mean, uh, the, the heart attitude here is what the early church had and it's what we should have as well. And anybody that has more than food and clothing is rich, by the way. We're to be content, both Jesus and Paul, with food and clothing, right? All of us in this room are rich to some degree or another. And if you're upside down financially where you owe more than you have, you have earning power that belongs to God too. So there's two aspects of this reality of Jesus that I want to mention this morning uh, that will help us in loving and caring for each other. The two aspects are this. They had a new reality of family. It was family in Jesus. It was a family called the body of Christ. It was called church. It's like Grace Church. Family. This was part of the reality of Jesus. We are family. We're his family, and now it's their family. It's our family. They heard from Jesus in Matthew 12, 48, that they were his mother and brothers, right? Family. If Jesus loves his family and lays his life down for his family, shouldn't we do the same? What were the apostles teaching on this? As they were listening to the apostles, right? Well, John tells us in 1 John 3, 16-17, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Are, Are you in the family or not? I mean, family cares for family. This is family. Jesus made it clear that not caring for our church family is equivalent to not caring for him. He really drives the point home here. When he said, as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And then the second aspect that I want to mention this morning for us to embrace is the reality of home that our home is not here, that this earth is not our home. These bodies are not our home. Our home is with Jesus. They saw this very clearly in the early church, and we need to see it too, that all that we have in this world is temporary. Anything that God's given us is temporary. So what did the apostles teach on this? Again, John makes it clear in chapter 14, John 14, 2 and 3, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He made it pretty clear that our home is with him. He wants us to think that way. Jesus also drove the point home even more in Luke 14 that part of the cost of following him was to renounce all that we have. All that we have. That's very challenging for us to do in this world, especially in our culture, especially in America. Very difficult. I struggle with this one big time. I, as I get older and my body is de- getting 
older and having problems, I look to heaven more and more in that arena. I can't wait for the glorified body. But uh, hanging on to my finances, I tell you what, I pray and I confess, Father, please help me to, to think less of, do I have enough as I get older? And think more of, Father, what do you want me to do with what you've entrusted to me? Isn't that really the question we should be asking more and more? Not do I have enough, but what is it you want me to do with what you've entrusted? So in closing, if we truly have a Christ-centered community here at Grace Church, let's practice these realities. The reality of Jesus by loving one another. The reality that we are his family by caring for one another. The reality that our home is not here, but with him. By using the temporary things he's given us, entrusted to us, to care for one another, sometimes sacrificially, as we're led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, let's look at the last two verses of chapter 2. Starting with verse 46, and it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, this section talks about uh, fellowship. It kind of gives us a snapshot of fellowship. And, of course, without fellowship, you can't have community, right? We're focusing on you know, Christ-centered community. There's no community without fellowship. And here in this passage, we see a few aspects that we can learn about fellowship. And the first one is the one that kind of just jumps out at you right away, and that's just the frequency of fellowship. I mean, they were meeting on a daily basis, you know, in the temple or in their homes, breaking bread together. And I know that uh, for many of us, maybe our schedules or maybe the culture is a little different, and it's, it's hard to maybe meet that frequency. But, but one thing is for sure that God intends for us to be fellowshipping uh, often and on a regular basis with other Christians. And there are some Christians that I know of, their, their fellowship consists of you know, the sum total of meeting on, on Sunday morning once a week, and that's it. And that, obviously that's a lot better than nothing. I'm not putting that down. But I think God in, ideally intended for us to meet you know, a lot more often than that. We're missing out on some of the benefits. Now, whether it's being involved in the home fellowship or a small group, or maybe be involved in some kind of ministry, or even if it's just some informal thing. It doesn't always have to be a church-sponsored event, but you know, you just have Christians over at your house for whatever reason, or, or just inviting someone to lunch. I've known uh, those who were very touched because somebody had in, you know, invited them to lunch. You know? Or maybe you have some good friends that are Christians, you're with them a lot. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's, all, um, that's good. I mean, that's all part of fellowship. Um, but I want to point out that true fellowship is more than just getting together, just being physically with them, and more than just getting together and, say, having fun and that kind of thing. And not that that's a bad thing. That's a good thing, actually. I, I would, you know, if you get together and play games or whatever you do, I mean, great, I encourage that. But if that's the sum total of your fellowship, if that's all your fellowship consists of, just getting together and talking about the weather, having fun, then, then your fellowship is falling far short of what God intended. You're not receiving the spiritual benefit from the Christian fellowship that God had intended. What does it say in his word? Look at verse 47. They were meeting day to day, and what does it say they were doing? And praising God. 
praising God. So obviously they weren't just getting together and talking about the weather. And what does praising God consist of? Well, usually we think of praising God for his attributes, for his uh, characteristics, for who he is, uh, for what he's done, for Jesus Christ dying on the cross and, and, and all these things. And we praise God for that. And we should praise God for that. And we should praise him often for that, lest we start taking those kind of things for granted. And, uh, and then be thanking him you know, for the things he's done in your life. We should be thankful again um, when we don't thank God, and, often we, and, and we probably don't thank him as much as we should, then that means we're starting to take things for granted. And another uh, important uh, benefit of praise is that it gets our eyes off ourself. Our natural tendency is to focus on ourselves and, and, and our own lives, and as we praise God and glorify him, we get our eyes off ourselves and start thinking about God. True fellowship needs to consist of sharing about Jesus, about what Jesus is doing in your life, about your walk with Jesus. Uh, we should be sharing the blessings that God has blessed us with. And as we do that, then you know, we can praise you know, God for what he's doing in each other's lives. And, and we should be praying or, or sharing the struggles, the struggles that we have, and then that way we can pray for each other and encourage one another. And all that needs to be a part of fellowship. And that's why it's important that we, we foster a transparency in our lives. Uh, uh, because, you know, our tendency is to put up walls, right? Uh, I, for some reason, we don't want people to see, you know, aspects of our lives. We want to put up a nice front, you know, everything's great, you know, whatever. I don't know if it's pride or what. But the Bible says in Thessalonians to, to encourage one another and build one another up. But how can we encourage one another if we don't know what's going on in each other's lives? How can I encourage you in that area of your life that maybe you need encouragement if you don't share that, I don't know what's going on in your life, right? If, say, your marriage is not doing well, you know, and, and you share that with me, I, we can uh, pray together and I can encourage you, you know, and this kind of a thing. Uh, but if, if I ask, well, how's your marriage going? Oh, fine, no problem. Well, that's where it ends then. You know, you don't, again, you don't receive the benefits that fellowship was intended for. And next we see the, the results of the kind of this kind of fellowship. In verse 47 again, it says praising God and having favor with all the people. So the result is that we ended up having favor with all the people. You know, the Christian life when we're truly living for the Lord is very attractive to the non-believer. Christians have the same problems that everyone else does, right? God doesn't shield from that. We, you know, he doesn't take away the problems when you become a Christian. But the difference is that we have an inner strength, right? Cuz God's with us. We have a hope because we're not putting all our hope in this world. We have, you know, we have a different perspective, right? Because we're not focusing just on our problems, hopefully, but you know, through praising God and, and, and through reading his word, we see the whole perspective of life. We see the whole, you know, and, and not just focusing on one little aspect. And uh, that, that's our natural tendency, though, isn't it? If I hit my elbow, my elbow hurts, right? Where's my focus? I'm focusing on my elbow, right? I'm not thinking about the rest of my body. The rest of my body may be doing great. But I'm just thinking about that elbow, because that's where the pain is. And that makes sense, you know, as far as your, your physical body, but we often approach life that way, right? We, we focus on the negative, it's our natural tendency, and, and sometimes we forget or take for granted everything else and, and all the other blessings that God's given us, because we're just so zeroed in on this. And that's, that's the world. But as, as non-believers look at us and see how we go through problems, we've got this inner strength, and we've got a, a broader perspective on life. You know, they, they may not fully understand it, but there's something attractive about that. They know that we've got something that, that they want. Uh, and so there's an attractiveness there. 
if our lives are genuine. And this is another reason why we need to build a transparency in our lives. How can they see how God is helping us get through these problems if we're just kind of always putting up a facade or something and they never see that? Sometimes we want to be a good witness. We think, let's hide our problems, but sometimes that's the best witness when they see you know, how we're praying about it and, and this kind of a thing and God gets us through us because they're going through the same problems. Even if they don't want to share, we know they're going through problems too. So we need to build a transparency. You know, if, um, if you're a true believer, then Christ lives inside of you. And if Christ is truly living inside of us, then the more transparent we are, the more Christ will be seen. And that last half of verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And that's the part I want to emphasize. The Lord was adding to them. I mean, the Christians were all doing what God wanted them to do, but it was the Lord that was adding to their number. It's not the great preaching or the teaching or the wonderful fellowship, as important as that is, as much as God calls to it. But ultimately, it's, it's the Lord that was giving the growth. It was the Lord that had to work on people's hearts. You know, we are just his instruments, right? If I nail a, a, a nail in a piece of wood, do I say that the hammer nailed that nail, or, or do I say I did? Well, I say I did it, right? The, the hammer is just the instrument. And ultimately, that's what we are. We're God's instruments, if we're allowed to be, allow God to use us. But the most important thing I want to point out uh, from this last, from that verse here, how the Lord added to him, is just the, the reality of, of the Lord's presence in the church and how it was really his working through the community of believers that was causing the church to grow. And what says the Lord there, I believe, is talking about Jesus. And even though we call this book that we're looking at the Acts of the Apostles, it's really the Acts of Jesus, isn't it? Look at the very first verse in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. The book of Acts is written by Luke, the same one who wrote the Gospel of Luke. So Luke had already written about the life of Jesus here on earth, and now he's writing this book. And he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. All that Jesus began to do in the teach. The implication is that now he's going to write about what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach. And we lose sight of that because Jesus isn't physically there. But it's Jesus who's, who's doing this work. And you see that throughout the book of Acts. It was Jesus who sent down the, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. It was Jesus who, whom the first martyr Stephen sees standing at the right hand of God. It's Jesus who appears to Paul on, on the road to Damascus. And it was Jesus that sends Paul and his company to preach in Europe. And even and despite all our focus on the, the preaching and the teaching and the fellowship that was going on here, ultimately it was Jesus was the one that was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved. And if things are going to happen in this church, if this church grows, you need to keep in mind it's Jesus working through us. I'd like to quote from uh, Alexander McLaren, the great 19th century preacher. And he said this to his congregation. He says, I believe, dear brethren, that modern Christianity has far too much lost the vivid impression of this present Christ as actually dwelling and working among us. What is good in us and what is bad in us conspire to make us think more of the past work of an ascended Christ than the present work of an indwelling Christ. We cannot think too much of that cross by which he has laid a foundation for the salvation and reconciliation of the world, but we may easily think too exclusively of it. And so fix our thoughts upon that work which he completed on Calvary when he said it is finished as to forget the continual work which will never be finished until his church is perfected and the world is redeemed. If we are a church of Christ at all, 
We have Christ in very deed among us and working through us and on us. And then he goes on to say that if we do not have the reality of that living Savior here in our hearts and in our fellowship, then better that these walls were leveled to the ground and this congregation scattered to the four winds of heaven. Thank you, Mark and Alan and Tom. We have seen what it means to be a Christ-centered community. We have seen what that kind of church does. We have seen what it looks like, how it grows and develops. And it should be really clear, it should be very clear that in all of it we are dependent 100% on Jesus. That it hinges on Him. We exist as a church like every church should to glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And therefore, our ultimate goal, as we're stating it, is be a Christ-centered community who is intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. Christ-centered community. As we've been here this morning, four of our people from Grace have been up in Northern California running a marathon. Avenue of the Giants. As we've been here this morning, the Orange County Marathon has been going on. Half marathon, marathon. And it is all about finishing a race. People finish the race, and even as they're running, they're cheering their fellow runners on. They're not saying, I hope you fall and, and you know, trip and fall. They're basically, they finish the race, and then they cheer their fellow runners on and say, you can do it, you can finish this. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are about eternal realities, with an eternal kingdom, with eternal goals. So much more. So much more. As we finish today, we're not going to do a song at the end, but I want to give you one, one challenge based on what you've heard today. This is all about investing your life in the Word of God. And the question is, what investment will you make using your life and God's Word in the lives of other people? What will you do? It's about initiating good towards others for, for the glory of God, for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. And so how can you do that? I want to give you one baby step. We'll start with the baby step, okay? But for some of you, you're going, I haven't done that in a while. I want you to take a, a piece of paper and a pen or a crayon, use whatever you want, and I want you to write someone a note. Make it another believer, okay? Someone in the, in, in the body of Christ. Write them a note and, and share your life and the word of God in that note. And don't text it, don't email them, don't message them. Get a piece of paper. We got a bunch of them out there on the plaza. Get a piece of paper and, and write something down and then don't mail it to them. Give it to them in person. It's got to be someone you're going to see. And look at them in the eye and say, here, I wrote this for you. I don't know about you, but that doesn't happen as often today as it, as it, as it probably used to. But I want you to do that. And um, I want you to stand. We're going to stand and pray. And I'll read this in closing, and then I'll pray. Romans 15. If we exist to glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel, and we want to be a Christ-centered community, then, then these words are perfect for us right now as we close. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice 
glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Lord God, thank you that you are here. You're always here with us, Lord. And thank you that you, by your Spirit, through your Word, are changing us. Make us the people you want us to be for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.